0: Love, Talk Radio.
1: From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Happy New Year, still. It's uh, only a month uh, into it, and it feels like I'm still writing 2012. So welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm I'm honored that you're joining us today. We've got a fascinating guest, so I'm sure you'll you'll be glad you tuned in. If you're joining us for the first time today, you'll probably want to check out the archive of past shows. There are a number of very good ones. In each show, we try to make sure we share share some uh, great investment ideas or remind you about the investment fundamentals. We've been doing a series on alternative investments, and today's show is a continuation of that series. We've already covered a number of different alternative investments on those prior shows, so if you miss those shows, you might want to jot down the topics and go back to our archive and listen to them. What were the topics? Well, we talked about direct investments in real estate, and we've covered owning as well as loaning alternatives, a number of shows on that topic, are those topics. Managed Futures. We've had an overview of alternative investments with Matthew Tuttle, crowdfunding, and specifically how IPO Village is using that concept to help companies go public, and recently master limited partnerships with Jason Slade. Now, MLPs are available through the traditional broker-dealer network, but I think are a great alternative to bonds. Now, on the show with Matthew Tuttle, you heard that some of the best-performing investment funds have been the major university endowment funds. You see, those funds often have 40% in alternative investments and only 60% in traditional financial securities, the ones most people have their whole portfolio in. Today, we'll talk about two investment strategies these university endowments use. You see, our special guest today is Anne C. Logue. Now, she's an author who might not be a household name yet. But at least one of her books should be on your bookshelf. If you don't find one of her books on it, there might still be enough time to pick one or two up before Valentine's Day. Now, I assume every one of our listeners has read at least one book in the Four Dummies series of books. You know, the ones that familiar yellow and black cover talking about some complicated topic in a manner that even dummies could understand. Each of the ones I've read, I learn more than reading five other books on that very same topic. If I were to pick one phrase that describes that series of books, it would probably be what Ralph Waldo Emerson said. The man who can make hard things easy is the educator. And of course, if you're writing to that today, he would say the man or woman who can make hard things easy. Is the educator. To me, that quote embodies the whole concept and writing style of those books. One other point I should have mentioned when I, when I mentioned that we're doing the series on alternative investments, in addition to sharing the fundamentals of investing and helping you build your wealth, the Wealth Radio, Wealth DNA Radio, boy, I'm having trouble this morning, helps uh, inform you of investments your broker doesn't want you to know about. Today just might be one of those days. See, today is February 11th, 2013, the only day of its kind. It's 9.03, no, 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 9.04 in Phoenix, Arizona, 10.04 Central Time, 5.04 p.m. in Continental Europe. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we are, but if you happen to miss a show, or if you want to go back and re-listen, You can find the shows that I mentioned, the alternative investment shows. You can hear them on the archives. Just go back to uh, WealthDNA.us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Now, before we roll into our main topic, for those curious about the U.S. equity markets and how they're doing today, uh, after, of course, six weeks of straight upward price trends, so six weeks we've had stocks heading up, well... Today, the U.S. markets are off to a slightly negative start, very, very small amount, but that is very normal for a Monday, as you know. Uh, Asia was mixed, and I say that China was up and Japan was down dramatically. Europe is mostly up, not dramatically, and Brazil is closed for trading today. Now, for those of you who invested heavily in the equity markets in the last few years have been very, very happy. For those of you investing in the bond market for the last 35 years, you've had 35 great years. Now, would you be just as happy if the stock market dropped, let's say 30% in the next month, or if your bond values dropped 30% this year? How will your portfolio perform if it happened? Now, some novice investors, especially those who just started investing, let's say in the last four years, will say, that can never happen. Well, on past shows, we've covered what happened during past market cycles, so our regular listeners realize you need to be truly diversified and ready. For somebody who hasn't experienced one of those downturns, I highly suggest our show about the first commandment of investing you'll find it in the archives well i think it's time to jump into our topic today alternative investments for dummies and to bring on our special guest ann loge an author lecturer and based on what ralph waldo emerson said definitely an educator she's a chartered financial analyst who's worked for several financial firms let's get a warm radio welcome to our guest ann loge welcome hi on.
0: oh hi thank you so much i'm happy to be here
1: well, we're really glad you could find the hour to spend with, uh, with our guests, uh, you know, as our guests, with our, with our listeners, with me. Uh, you've done some fascinating stuff. So even though I gave a very brief overview of your background, you actually have a fairly varied background. Why don't, you know, how do you introduce yourself? Why don't you introduce yourself to our
0: uh, listeners? <laughs> Um, Yeah, um, well, primarily right now, I teach finance at University of Illinois at Chicago Mm part-time. And the other part of the time, I do writing and research and technical editing about finance. Um, Before that, I had a very traditional financial background, you know, MBA, CFA. I worked for um, a mutual fund company and then for two different investment banks. And it was interesting. I mean, I've been through a few market cycles now, although the strange mm-hmm. thing is is that things have been moving so fast in recent years that almost everybody's been through a few market cycles right now. Um, so um, it's been really interesting. I really have always been, liked watching the markets, I've liked trying to figure out what's going on. I've liked doing the research. I didn't necessarily like the um being at work at five thirty in the morning um mm-hmm. during earnings season and seeing what was going to blow up on me so yeah,
1: I can understand that part now do you get a lot of speaking engagements given your background on the things you've written? Do you get a lot of speaking engagements in some of the schools that train financial advisors and financial planners?
0: I've done a few. Um, I did one a year ago with the um, University of Chicago um, alumni group, and I am giving a speech at the beginning of March for the CFA Society of Dayton um, and going to be talking about demographic trends and how they are affecting a lot of the big changes both in developed markets but particularly in emerging markets.
1: Okay, all right, and I can I understand why, but our guests don't, our listeners don't know yet. So, uh, I'd like to cover uh, topics in, in two of your books on this show, and we won't obviously mm-hmm. be able to cover them in full detail. But could you first give our listeners a list of the books and the type of writing you've done?
0: Well, um, I have done uh, hedge funds for dummies, day trading for dummies. Um, Socially Responsible, Investing for Dummies, and Emerging Markets for Dummies. And
1: as I recall, you actually did one for Canadians as well. Is that the day trading? You have two versions of it?
0: Yes. Day trading for Canadians for dummies, although there was a Canadian co-author who (laughs) did the, the chapters that were very specific to those markets.
1: Understand, understand. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. but that I think that gives people a feel for uh, your background and, and the kinds of things you've done. Now, do you write a newsletter or a blog where uh, you kind of keep us up to date with some of the things you're doing?
0: I do have a blog um, on my website, um, which is annlogue dot com a n n l o g u e dot com. Correct. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun.
1: And the most recent of those is emerging markets, and therefore I'm not surprised that you're talking more about emerging markets these days than other things. Now, I define alternative investments as those outside the traditional broker-dealer network. Now, if you were writing a book on this topic, the title that I've chosen for this show, Alternative Investing for Dummies, how would you define alternative investments?
0: Hmm. I tend to define it as things beyond stocks and bonds, which is that very traditional CFA type of definition. Um, Although the interesting thing is because of so many really great uh, no-load mutual funds and discount brokerage firms, people can buy stocks and bonds without dealing with the traditional broker network and get themselves a really diversified portfolio at low cost. And that's, that's, that's a consideration. If you're getting good advice, mm-hmm. then that's worth paying for. But not all financial advisors are giving good advice. So,
1: how bad. true, how true. Yes. Now, I'd like to start with your book, Socially Responsible Investing for yes. Dummies, which isn't necessarily an alternative investment by at least the definition that I use and I think mm-hmm. both of us use. Can you share a little bit about when you wrote the book and your motivation for covering that particular topic?
0: The main reason I wrote the book was because I, I think there are a lot of people who should be investing for retirement or college or whatever, but they're almost afraid to. They're afraid that if they invest, they're going to start dealing with the bad guys. And so that was a big part of the motivation for writing it. The other thing is is that a lot of people find themselves on some kind of a pension or church finance committee or some other type of board where they're, Trying to make financial decisions and they want to make sure that they're respecting whatever the mission of the organization is. Now, the interesting thing is, there is what I would think, in a way, is an alternative strategy that is used in socially responsible investing, which is um, looking for companies that are not necessarily behaving well or that do not have good corporate governance, and then lobbying that company and engaging in um, shareholder actions to try to change things. And, you know, the shareholders are the owners, right? This is pure capitalism, yep. and the owner should should be calling the shots. And there have been a lot of companies – there are a lot of pension funds um, – that have used this, the shareholder activism strategy, as a way to improve their performance, especially for parts of their portfolio where they can't make decisions. So if they have a large part of their portfolio, say, in an S&P 500 index fund, they can't buy and sell individual companies, but they do have a stake in those companies. So going back and, you know, Suggesting changes maybe in certain policies or um, lobbying for changes in management compensation, in some cases lobbying for changes in management. Mm -hmm. Um, There's an interesting dispute going on right now with two companies, um, Herbalife and Apple Computer, both of which are being led by shareholders who are raising questions about what these company strategies are. And that's a bit of a different strategy than simply, you know, looking for solid long-term growth or looking at relative yields, Um, and it can pay off well and individual investors you know may who are interested in this mm-hmm. may want to pay attention to those stocks that are being targeted and have the right as shareholders to issue proposals and to vote on some of these proposals so you know you you you're a capitalist you're an owner right your mm-hmm. one share mm-hmm. of apple may not be significant in the grand scheme of apple but you're still an owner
1: right so, and have a voice along with the other owners yes okay yes. Now, I guess when I think about social uh, investing or socially responsible investing, Mm -hmm. I kind of think of my own company's business model, which was, uh, by the way, inspired by another quote, uh, Albert Pine, who said, What we do for ourselves dies with us. What we do for others and the world remains and is immortal. Mm -hmm. Now, is that the kind of inspiration that somebody might have, that they would start looking into socially responsible investing? Uh, Or what are some of the other motivations they might have?
0: Well, for many people, it is you know trying to invest um, the so-called you know doing well while doing good, Um, trying Mm -hmm. to find companies or market sectors that are likely to lead to bigger changes in our economy, Um, trying to do things maybe, deal with companies that are maybe doing the right thing in terms of um, labor overseas or in terms of um, emissions control or, you know... um, you know, developing new types of technologies or making a commitment to their local community. Um, For some people, it's, you know, many people have religious restrictions um, Mm -hmm. depending on their denomination and and how strict they are. Mm -hmm. And so for those people, there are certain things they will not invest in and don't want to be a part of. And social investing done right can give them – the same performance as any other investment without them um, taking a stake in companies they're not interested in. Um, I do think people need to be a little careful, though, because there is no perfection out there. Um, I think sometimes people get a little carried away with assuming that a particular business is wonderful from top to bottom, and, you know, (laughs) I mean, they're run by human beings, and, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I even take an example of a company I used to work with uh, with uh, for a number of years, PepsiCo. Uh, you know, Somebody like a Mormon might say, I'm not going to buy PepsiCo stock because, you know, all that bad caffeine stuff. I don't mm-hmm. drink it. I'm not going to buy their stock. And on the other hand, they own things like uh, um, the um, Tropicana brand. Mm-hmm. Now they do have a lot of junk food, so they might weigh that and say, okay, well, geez, unfortunately, because these companies invest in a number of things, I might or might not like that company depending on a specific product. So I guess it's not real easy, uh, but I think I kind of get the idea of, why people want to do that. Mm -hmm. But let me flip. It's, I'm a finance guy. When I think of limit, as you are, although you're a finance gal, let's put it that way. How's that? Uh, yeah. When I think of, of limiting the investment choices a uh, fund manager take, you know, has, so if, if, you, if there is a socially responsible fund, or I, as, as a person for my own portfolio, are limiting it because I'm cutting out certain stocks, it's kind of like if I said, gee, I'm only going to pick stocks with ticker symbols that start between A and S. I'm going to ignore all of the ones from T to Z. Uh, I should expect lower returns since I've excluded. Included some stocks that might uh, perform better than the average. Now, what's been the reality for socially responsible investing?
0: The reality is all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. There are funds. You're right. If you start excluding things naively, um, like for example, alcohol and tobacco, right. right? Right. Alcohol and tobacco companies have been great performers. Um, but a lot of people will not invest in them. Mm-hmm. The key then is making sure that you're finding something with a similar type of risk and return profile to replace that com- that alcohol or tobacco company in your portfolio. So it's you slightly just say, overrated,
1: maybe, right? In well, order to kind of compensate for the fact that that's a hole in your in your portfolio.
0: Right, but you need to think about it. I mean, alcohol mm-hmm. and tobacco companies are making a relatively low-priced, um, mm-hmm. addictive consumer product. They tend to be global brands. But there are a lot of other companies making things that fit that profile, um, candy sure. companies, you know, a lot of food companies, um, a lot of, you know, you mentioned PepsiCo, PepsiCo, mm-hmm. Coca-Cola. They're making those same kind of relatively low-priced, addictive, or somewhat addictive um you know, global consumer products. So, you know, I've got my my Diet Coke on my desk right now. I can't function without it. Right, <laughs> um, right. That's I like me and my coffee. I'm
1: <laughs> glad you didn't pick up my coffee. I'm glad you used your own example.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's that kind of thing. So you can't say, well. We're not going to invest in, you know, alcohol companies. We're not going to invest in tobacco companies. You have to go back and say, okay, there is a function. There's a risk and return function that these companies fulfill in a portfolio, and we need to find a way to replace it. So social investing that has taken that approach has been competitive. Social investing that's simply been we're going to cut something out has not been so competitive. Um, And it's just – taking the extra step and thinking Mm -hmm. about what your portfolio needs. And again, a lot of the the good work on this has been done by pension funds because by law pensions have to have competitive performance. They have to be invested for the benefit of the beneficiary. But an awful lot of them do have different social restrictions, especially those um, like a lot of hospital pension funds will not invest in tobacco. Um, A lot of pension funds affiliated with different religious institutions or religious orders have the same restrictions as those organizations. So it can be done. It just has to be done carefully.
1: Okay. Now as Paul Harvey might say, <laughs> each two. You're yes. tuned to the Wealth DNA radio show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki, and I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. If you've missed some of the prior shows, like the earlier ones on alternate investments, or if you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on Wealth DNA. Now, if you'd like to get an email reminder of the shows, you can do one of two things. Uh, you can send me an email, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Or at the very top of the Internet screen, the very top left, you'll see the Boomer and the Babes picture. Just click the Follow button under there. They'll keep you posted. Now, a reminder, during the radio show, we welcome you, yes, you are listeners, to ask questions. There is a chat area uh, below the radio player. And since I have a ton of questions, I'm going to encourage you not to call. Call in unless your only available option is calling. Uh just because chat we can respond a little, little more um, loosely, but there's a chat window to the radio player. You can type in a question, comment, whatever. And today we're chatting with Anne Logue, an author of a number of four dummies books, and we've just been talking about still I'm talking about the book Socially Responsible Investing. For dummies. Okay, now, if I decide to invest socially, Anne, how would I invest this way? Are there investment funds? Uh, I obviously can't invest in a pension fund. I don't have a pension. (laughs) But are there investment funds, which of course in the U.S. we call mutual funds, or ETFs that uh, are tailored for me?
0: There are several. Um, And, again, some are using this fairly naive, we're just not going to invest in tobacco and alcohol and pornography companies. Others are using a more sophisticated approach. So definitely do your research. Once you narrow down what your hot buttons are, and I think that's the first thing, is you really have to narrow it down and say, okay, you know, it's the, the teachings of my religion, or it's the environment, or it's treatment of workers, or something that that you can say very specifically. This I care about. This I don't. Um, and then there are several mutual funds that follow um, that that will invest along those lines. The performance is all over the place, so you need to compare mm-hmm. it to a similar um, mutual fund that does not have social restrictions. Um, So you do need to be careful. But there are some very good ones out there. Um, um, One company that that has a very good reputation is um, Calvert. Um, Another is Domini, uh, D-O-M-I-N-I. Another that's very interesting is Amana. And the Amana Mutual Funds invest according to Islamic principles, which means they will not invest in alcohol, tobacco, pornography, pork processing, or companies that pay or receive interest. Right. And okay. because of that, they missed the whole financial crisis because they owned no bank stocks. Oh. So their relative
1: performance looks pretty good. Their relative
0: performance looks pretty good. That's probably a bit of a fluke. I don't know that I would count on them having being able to continue that, but you know, that's a case of where making a social investing decision actually really helped a whole lot of investors. Right.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. That means they wouldn't invest in my funds since we mm-hmm. do a lot of, a uh, lot of uh, interest uh, income uh, within it. But uh, okay, I'm glad I was going to ask you about that. Some of the funds mm-hmm. or, or uh, ones you and mm-hmm. I wasn't familiar with those companies. And when I think of <laughs> Manana, I think of appliances. So, uh, very, very good tip on that. Appreciate that. Okay, mm-hmm. now I'd like to shift gears on you and focus on hedge funds, which are probably the best known. And least understood alternative investments. Mm-hmm. You wrote the book, "Hedge Fund for Dummies." So, <laughs> tell us, when did you write the book? What was your motivation, and what got you, you know, what got start, started in that whole topic?
0: Well, the book came out in 2006, mm-hmm. and when I started working on it, um, the assumption at Wiley Publishing, which is owns the Four Dummies" brand. Um, They were thinking that maybe it was a newfangled mutual fund, that people were really interested in hedge funds. And, you know, most individuals can't invest in them, but they may have a need to know about them, again, because of, you know, being involved with a pension fund or a foundation fund. Um, Also, there are a lot of people who are eligible to invest in hedge funds who may not necessarily be knowledgeable investors so if you think Mm -hmm. of athletes or entertainers Um, (laughs) the final thing is i've heard that the book is very popular for employee training Wow, but a, a lot of companies that deal with hedge funds or even hedge funds will use it to help get their support staff up to
1: speed on what they're doing. So, well, exactly why I asked the question about even you know training uh, financial advisors, financial planners. Yeah. I Think yeah. this is you know, you know really cool stuff, and I would think yeah. it would be and over time I think we'll get you in there was to, to get them to understand they need to talk to you directly, not just read the book. But uh, very very cool. Okay, well let's let's start with the basics. Mm-hmm. We've talked about risks and specifically you had a show where we just touched on the concept of hedging as an alternative, if you will, or a little bit different concept than diversifying. Uh, Is it accurate to say that because the name is Hedge Funds, that these funds are trying to hedge some risk in their portfolio?
0: I wouldn't say it's accurate. I would say okay. that many are doing that. I would say okay, so it's that yes in,
1: but, right? One of yes, my favorite but. answers, yes, but. Okay, go ahead. Right, many yes, are sorry. doing
0: that. Right. <laughs> the the traditional, the earliest hedge funds were definitely set up to try to eliminate market risk through long short equity strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, what's happened of course is that It's become a bit of a catch-all term. I think there's something like 40 different categories that um, hedge fund return tracks, and they're one of the big performance reporting companies, Mm -hmm. Um, that for some people – um, it has just become a marketing thing. They say they're a hedge fund, they're not doing anything special. Some companies are truly managing their portfolios to be completely hedged to offer that kind of bond-like return, relatively low, you know, rel- relatively low performance, but extremely steady, very little volatility. Um, some are managed to take an extraordinary amount of risk. But to help a large institution hedge another part of their portfolio, so uh, if you think, okay. yeah, if you think about the big buyers, the, the big university endowments, the really big state pension funds, they're often thinking that okay, you know, they've got maybe one part of the portfolio that, that has one type of risk, and they want a hedge fund that has a very specific but different type of risk. Um, so it becomes a piece of a whole portfolio. Um, some of them aren't doing, like I said, some of them aren't doing anything special at all. They they may as well be any kind of large cap growth mutual fund, but they call themselves a the hedge fund, and they take the performance
1: fee of a hedge fund. So. Right, um, which is which is expensive. Okay, now, so yeah. long-short funds, and I think it's probably the best-known category, and I actually mm-hmm. kind of use that uh, philosophy in my own mm-hmm. portfolio. Uh, what are some of the other types? Uh, maybe pick some of the big ones. Right? Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't want to make you try to go through all 40 off the top of your head here, <laughs> uh, but there are probably more prevalent ones or, or more common ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what are some of those
2: types?
0: Well, the equity long-short, of course, is one of the most common. Um, global mm-hmm. macro which is pretty much investing in almost anything around the world, um, very much looking at currency plays. So those are funds that are taking big risk in many cases, but can be used to diversify against other portfolio risks. Um, And that's probably the other huge category. Then you get into the arbitrage funds, um, especially interest arbitrage funds, Um, which are looking to play differences in interest rates in different types of bonds. So they're looking for differences between U.S. government bonds and maybe Japanese government bonds and, and, you know, corporate bonds versus government bonds. And they're playing those differences, and that could be very successful if you call it right. Um, if you mm-hmm. call it wrong, you can get into serious trouble like long-term capital management did. Right. Um, but that that was an interest arbitrage fund. Um, there are a lot of funds that play what they call special situations, which in particular they're looking for companies that are – likely to be acquired or are in the process of being acquired, um, they are often uh, active as shareholders as well. Um, so they're type of looking for a particular business structure, a particular industry, and they're looking to um, find a way to benefit from those changes there. Um, and then a lot of them are just set up for different levels of risk and return. So you might have... You know, stocks or or funds that are designed to be high beta, which means they have a lot of market exposure, or that are designed to be very low beta, which means they have very little market exposure. And those are, you know, fit into a larger portfolio where people are trying to manage their overall levels of risk.
1: Okay, and definitely when you talk about the, the special situation of the arbitrage, I uh, talk about how you would pick interest rates between um, the U.S. and Japan. The difference varies between zero and zero the last time I looked at <laughs> uh, but I, I understood the concept but as you said those are far from hedging if anything mm-hmm. those are very speculative in a lot of ways and uh, if they're right they uh, they do very well Bass was one of those guys on the on the real estate bubble that did extremely well mm-hmm. he hasn't done as well recently uh, Kyle like I was trying to think of his his, his name uh, but again I could see where you know some of those funds might be and I hadn't thought of that great great point that they might be a hedge for somebody who has a you know, large portfolio that has an exposure to certain things in real State mm-hmm. might have been a good example with Kyle Bass's. Uh, so, very, very uh, interesting point. They definitely sound more speculative to me than, than hedging. I mean, if anything, you get yourself in big trouble investing big in one of those funds.
0: Yeah. Very yeah. interesting. And a lot of them have had a difficult time maintaining performance, especially after fees,
2: and a lot of
0: the big institutions have been negotiating down fees. Um, you know, again, an individual probably doesn't have that power. Sure. Um, you know, even if you're a highly paid pro athlete, you still don't have as much money as Harvard University. But the fees—that's going to be interesting to see what happens to the hedge fund industry when it becomes less lucrative for the fund managers.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. most of them have very high minimums or are available uh, only to accredited investors. Right. Uh, are there some available to non-accredited investors or with minimums such that somebody that is accredited but not necessarily all that knowledgeable uh, could be stepping into?
0: There are some of funds that you okay. know invest in several hedge funds that have lower minimums. Um again, they're still going to be pretty much for a higher net worth investor. Sure. Um but you know you, you sort of move away from professional athletes to, you know, bus- you know, business professionals or, you know, lawyers or people with those kinds of incomes. Um there are some mutual funds that follow some of these different strategies. There are exchange traded funds that follow some of these strategies, and those are open to any investor. Uh, Again, you do need to do your research, because some of those funds do not work the way people think they do, Um, so you need to look not only at past performance, but also how it fits in the context of a total portfolio, and again, the whole idea of extreme diversification as a hedge. If that's something just about anybody can do, I mean, really thinking about is your portfolio you know, diversified in terms of stocks and bonds, in terms of real estate, in terms of maybe um, metals and agriculture? Is your portfolio diversified domestic versus international, um, developed market versus emerging market? If you really get into that, you start to eliminate some of the risks that you have.
1: Right, no, very, very good point. And that is, mm-hmm. that is something that you know, I try to make sure that our listeners are aware of all of these different options. Because if they're not really diversified, if they have a you know portfolio of twelve stocks mm-hmm. and they all happen to be, uh, you know, in the U.S. and Europe, so it's not helpful <laughs> with diversification. Uh, you know, I, I guess I was curious, but I, you don't need to answer this one. If we had any hedge funds that are specializing in the, in the fall of any governments around the world, uh, so <laughs> it like another. That would, yeah,
0: and that would be a very interesting type of special situation. Situation or global macro fund. I mean, you you, you kind of laugh, and yet that's very much what George Soros did with a lot yes. of his currency bets. Absolutely. Was look for companies that or look for countries that were grossly overvalued and somewhat unstable, either because of the rate of growth or because of who their political leadership was, and made bets and made a lot of money and made a lot of people very angry. So.
1: Right, and now he can support some of those governments. But anyway, we won't get into we won't get into political influence here. Uh, it's now it seems the last few years. Any time we hear about hedge funds in the media, because most people really aren't exposed to them other than what you know is said in the media, and they're kind of these mysterious, you know, big guys with huge amounts of money. Uh, the, the reason we hear about them is some sort of insider trading scandal. And is this due to the lack of the regulation on those hedge funds?
0: I don't think it's due to the lack of regulation, um, because even still, insider trading is illegal, whether the fund is registered or not. So Perfect. that's, you know, that that's starting to verge into criminal activity. I, you know, I think some of it is that it, these people are under enormous pressure to get their performance. And, you know, maybe the, this is my University of Chicago thing coming out. but. Right. It is very difficult to beat the market consistently. It's Mm -hmm. fairly easy to match the market consistently, but once you're trying to beat it and once you have to beat it in order to get paid and have to beat it by a large amount in order to get paid, I think some people cut corners. I I Mm -hmm. think that's what has happened. Um, I don't know in every case that that's what's happened, and, and obviously it all goes up to the courts. Um, I also think there's some gray – people have a lot of gray areas about what is material inside information and what's just a little piece of the puzzle that they're putting together when they're making an investment decision. Mm
2: -hmm. So,
0: I mean, insider trading traditionally has been very difficult to prosecute because of that. Um, you know, everybody talks about Martha Stewart, but Martha Stewart—they actually got her on obstruction of justice, not insider trading.
1: Oh, good. point. Uh, I forgot about that. It's another. Yeah. You're right. I do remember. I was actually shorting her her stock even before that broke, so uh, I did okay uh, yeah. on that one. But that's that's beside the point. I won't pick on I'll pick on poor Martha on that one. Yeah. Uh, but okay, no, I, I you know the 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 other things from a performance viewpoint, you've touched on that. It's kind of been all over the map depending mm-hmm. on their nature. But if I pick the hedge fund that I you know that truly was trying to hedge. It was trying to, uh, you know, let's take an equity long, short, probably the best example, uh, or or one that is trying to, to, to make sure they're covered on, on both sides of the markets going up or down, whichever markets they're, they're investing in. I should expect in that case, and again, I'm looking from my finance perspective, mm-hmm. that those funds would have lower returns in the good times. Let's say if they're doing this on the stock market, they would have had lower returns than we've seen in the, you know, 120% or whatever mm-hmm. the market is up since since uh, 2009 uh but when the markets decline they should have very little loss Um, Mm -hmm. but you know compared to that idea or that concept the reality you know how many funds is that true versus uh how many of the funds are just wildly bad or wildly good for short periods of time
0: i think that um for the most part um, especially the ones that have gotten the attention, have been wildly bad or wildly good for short okay. periods of time. Um, I think that the, um, the so-called bond-like funds or the absolute return funds, the equity long short, you know, that have traditionally wanted to work within a band of about 6 to 8% return. Um, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. fact of the matter is in recent years, that kind of 6 to 8% return has become wildly speculative. <laughs>
2: um, okay. All right. So good point. I
0: yeah, I think a lot of those funds have had to take some risks um and do some things differently. But again, you know, the, the it's just it's all over the place. And I think we've we we had this idea that, well, you know, if you invest in a hedge fund, everything's gonna be set, and that's right. not true. Um and I'm not sure that individuals have really missed out by not being able to invest in them. Um, some individuals have missed out by not being able to invest in some of the funds. But, you know, again, if we're talking... You know, George
1: Soros Yeah, gotcha Very, very mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. Uh, Which you've touched on two things That just uh, kind of dawned on me before if Bonds was one of them, I want to c- cover that next uh, But you did touch on the uh, Fund of funds, and I guess one of the things That, I, I, I don't know I assume you covered that in the book uh, One of the issues would be if these hedge funds Charge a large amount, which they do uh, mm-hmm. And it's a percentage of returns plus a little bit uh, And the fund the funds is going to charge. There could be quite a bit of fees built into that fund of funds.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that—that that is, I think, again, why it, you know why smaller investors need to be very careful. Um, many fund of funds can negotiate good fee discounts, so True. their investors are not necessarily seeing that duplicate level of fees. Good point. But that's a they concern and it seems like fund to fund investing has slowed down a great deal at least on the institutional side.
2: Mhm.
1: And then I guess secondly also they they sometimes sometimes if it's closed nature it might have a premium or a discount to the to the market and you have to kind of watch mm-hmm. both of those so you could have mm-hmm. three levels of additional cost if if you're not careful. But uh, you know there is a way to to invest in those mm-hmm. areas if you want mm-hmm. to. All right, now you touched on bonds and, and and kind of in relation to these absolute return funds and I guess that's the right term mm-hmm. uh, we should be using for the proper hedge funds. But uh, bonds have had a a great return for 35 years, and I mentioned this in my intro. Uh, Stock market's done real well for the last four years, extremely well, uh, let's put it that way. Are investors still putting money into hedge funds given that, you know, some of the scandals, given that other investments, uh, you know, traditional investments have done so well, uh, are the hedge funds slowing down?
0: Fund funds definitely seem to be slowing down. Um, traditional hedge funds, I think there is, it's very difficult for new funds to get started. Um, there's been a lot more interest in dealing with established companies. Um, you know, again, the, the beauty of ha- this, this, you know, wretched market cycle that we've had for the last several years is that you really get a sense of who can manage through that and who, who was lucky, who panicked, who can keep their head. And so I think the people who were established who showed a, a, a reasonable track record given the circumstances, right? you got to, you know, it's been tough circumstances. Sure, yeah, they really have. <laughs> yeah. Those people have a big advantage, and um, they're still able to attract good business. Um, again, for a lot of them, though, they, they, especially newer funds, it's become a lot more difficult, and I think we'll continue to see fewer new funds, more small funds folding. So mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Okay. All right. That's that's exactly what I was <laughs> wondering about. Okay, before <laughs> we continue, for those listeners that just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA radio show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. You can listen to the earlier portion on the archive, and if you missed prior shows, same archive, wealthdna.us. Today we're talking with Ann Logan, author, lecturer, and based on what Ralph Waldo Emerson said, definitely an educator. The book we're talking about, Hedge Fund, hedge funds for Dummies. Great book, great title, and uh, it should be on most people's bookshelves. Now, Ann, are there any particular investment styles or funds or fund managers in this hedge fund uh, space that you like?
0: You know, I don't have a lot of specifics in terms of fund managers. Um, In terms of styles, um, as an analyst, I've always been very drawn to equity long short, because I always found that short selling is kind of You know, because you get to do really good research. Mm -hmm. Good short sellers do incredible research. Um, And, you know, having come up as an analyst, I really, really value that. And when I worked for an investment bank, I always liked dealing with our hedge fund clients, our equity long-short clients, because they did – the good ones really do their homework. And so that's just just kind of my own aesthetic thing um, but I also think that 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 kind of strategy that kind of strategy is difficult when the market's going up, but it does it is a truly hedged strategy. Beyond that, I think Global Macro is really great, and it offers really great diversification opportunities within an overall portfolio because they are stretching the things that they invest in, so they're adding a lot of elements to diversification that Mm -hmm. um, are difficult to add otherwise. And if they have the size, they can really take advantage of movements in currency. Um, because even when Very we true. talk about movements in currency are uh, tend to be actually pretty small. Mm-hmm. Um, That's correct. Yeah, so to really profit from them, you really have to have a lot of trading capital. And um, so I think that becomes a better thing to play um, through a global macro fund.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, even though your books are intended to obviously educate readers Mm -hmm. about a particular investment style or investment category, Mm -hmm. can I ask your views on the financial markets now? What do you see uh, ahead of us or where we are?
0: I think um, the good news is it looks like Europe is going to figure out a way to save the countries that are struggling, Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that's been an enormous you know, what's going to happen if the euro falls apart? What's going to happen if Greece or Spain or Italy or Ireland or Portugal go bankrupt? Mm-hmm. And um, it seems like there's definitely a commitment um, on the part of the European Central Bank and the EU to make this work. So that, takes, that gets rid of an enormous cloud of uncertainty. Um, in the U.S., um, the economy is... Improving, not as fast as people would like it to be improving, but it's it's a little better, Um, so that's exciting. Um, And I think that means, again, that we're seeing a stronger stock market, and that should continue, again, because things are a little stronger. Um, we haven't had a normal stock market for a long time. And I think we're kind of forgetting that for a long time, a normal stock market return was about 12% a year. And it's wow. been a long time since <laughs> we've really that. Bad. Um, so, um, but I do think that interest rates have to go up. You know, we're talking about zero, and I think that is probably good because it will probably stimulate some more risk-taking in the economy. Mm -hmm. However, for people who have holdings and bonds, they're going to find out that bonds can be very risky.
1: Okay, we've been talking about that on the show, so while you're on, mm-hmm. interest rates have to eventually rise, they won't go mm-hmm. to 15%, uh, they never have, and I, I can <laughs> safely predict it'll never happen, but you can take my word for that, uh, but okay, so what advice would you give to listeners that are investing in bonds for their income today?
0: I think um if you're investing for long term income, okay
1: mm-hmm. holding you know, your maturity in that case, right?
0: Right. You're getting your, your interest payments. Your interest payments will be safe. It's just gonna be the principal that's going to fluctuate. I think um keeping money short term so that as rates go up you can start, you know, think about a laddered strategy so that as interest rates go up you can start locking in more longer term returns. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and that means you kind of, you you start out with money you know like one year c d s one year bonds, and then as they mature as you buy a new one you buy or as the bonds mature, you go out another time period so that eventually you have you know five five year bonds instead of five one year bonds. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, Yeah,
1: it does. does. The the one, I guess, I hadn't thought of it. i don't have to start using this phrase for for bond investors. Uh, Mm -hmm. The the future is exactly what they've been waiting for. Mm -hmm. That's the good news. The bad news is it's going to be exactly what they've been waiting for, and as interest rates go up, that takes some losses. So you have to be careful what you're waiting for, I
0: guess. Yeah, I mean, you kind of want to be in a position if if rates go up. You know, people in the late 70s, which was the last time we've had really high interest rates, People who were able to lock in bonds or CDs at nine, ten percent interest, they had a few very sweet years. And so you 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 want to you want to be in a position where you have some cash so that as rates go up, you can start locking in some of those longer returns. But in the near term, it's going to be difficult, and that means um, you know your um, your in your income will still be. The same, but you'll watch your principal erode until right. it's time, until it's maturity, yeah.
1: Okay, and then also with that uh, interest rates rising, there's the, that risk uh, in, in the background of inflation, and I've been uh-huh. hedging my portfolio against inflation with real estate and precious metals. What are your uh-huh. views in those markets?
0: Um, I think the gold market is somewhat overdone, although I've been saying that for a few years now, so you know. Um, that's sometimes what's difficult about the markets, right? You can know if something's too high or too low, but it can take a long time to work out and a lot of people are making money in the meantime.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um I think um you know, with with gold there's you know, there's all the psychology and it's like if things are really falling apart you really want to have batteries and, and bottled water and not gold. But um, I think that creates some opportunities in some of the other metals, um, you know, some of the other industrial metals, platinum and silver and copper, and um, because they, they any kind of commodity really has that same kind of inflation hedge built in. Um, and I think where inflation is going to – Crop up is going to be in food first um, because of the droughts and the extreme weather we've had. So that starts to favor commodity funds or you know food processing companies, things like that. Um, I think real estate in much of the country it is attractively priced now, mm-hmm. and there are also ways to get diversified portfolios through real estate investment trusts. Absolutely. Um, so I think. I think, given the price discrepancies right now, I'd be a little more excited about real estate than I would be about gold. Okay. Again, with the caveat that I've been wrong about gold for the last three, four years. So.
1: Like like me with bonds. I've been pretty, you know, in the bond bubble for, for I mean, you, quite a you while. You
0: look at it, you're like, it's $900 an ounce. That makes no sense. And then it just. Keeps going <laughs> that's up right. That's stuff. right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, gee, I could buy a house for that. No. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> Uh, now, one of the, one of my specialties, by the way, is is uh, private mortgage lending, and I've uh, you know, eventually, I'd love to see a book investing in mortgages for for uh, for dummies.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so, hopefully, I can inspire you to do a book on that uh, on that <laughs> topic. Yeah, only about one to of two the, percent of the country is aware of this niche, and this niche is like you know ten billion dollars or twenty billion dollars mm-hmm. of, 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 of uh, opportunity. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just like somebody's got to take a look at it. I don't have the time to do it. So hopefully we can inspire you to take a look at okay. that okay. area someday. All right, put that on your put that on your to think about list. How's that? But right. more importantly, I'm actually working on two books. One on the Ten Commandments Investing, and the other is Wealth DNA, and I have no spare time to do it. So you're going to have to help me find a co-author or something <laughs> that can, can kind of work with me to 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 keep this thing moving because one of them is like eighty percent done, uh, and it's just a matter. Of you, I mean, if you've accomplished so much and, and and get these things done in in you know such a, a phenomenal time frame with uh, with great quality that you know, I, and I'd love to have find somebody that you know you know or you feel confident could could help somebody. So uh, let me uh, you know keep me in mind on that. Uh, and and remind our listeners, how do they find more information about you and the books you've written?
0: Well, um, I have a website with a blog on it, and that is com A-N-N-L-O-G-U-E dot com. The books are available at most larger booksellers, as well as most public libraries, and the libraries are big supporters of Dummies Books, so, um, you know, that's, that's fine if you if you want to check it out at the library first. You're, that's okay by me, and um, and I'm on Twitter and all the other usual suspects.
1: Good point, good point. I'll have to to Mm -hmm. get get following you. I didn't even think that I should have done that over the weekend, but I definitely will. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, Annie, we've covered a lot of ground on on, on Mm -hmm. two of your books, uh, both the uh, socially responsible responsible investing as well as hedge funds. Uh, What are some of the aspects we didn't cover? We actually covered a few markets as well in your views. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what are some of the things we didn't cover that you would uh, still share your views on?
0: I think the big thing long-term is people need to pay a lot of attention to changing demographics, and the world, this is one of those things where this time in the world really is different, um, because we have, we've had so many improvements in healthcare and sanitation and nutrition all over the world, people are living so much longer, people have more control of their fertility than they ever have, so we have smaller families, we have um, gender imbalances in India and China, um, really unusual demographic situations. And they're going to, and again, this is a longer-term thing, um, but they're going to affect the businesses and the overall economic policies um, everywhere. I mean, a lot of the financial issues that we have in the U.S., both on a federal level and on a state level, are strictly related to people living longer.
1: Mm-hmm. Nothing mm-hmm. more.
0: Um, yeah, and, there's and there's one thing lot... that is
1: predictable is demographics, right? We can, we can, yeah. we can forecast that so a hell of a lot better than we can interest rates.
0: Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, because you, you have the lead time and you can see, um, and, and it, it's, it's a difficult problem to address, but as people address it or don't address it, it will definitely have economic effects.
2: Very yeah.
1: cool. And I assume you're, mm-hmm. you're occasionally blogging on some of the topics or things you're mm-hmm. seeing uh, yes. to, to uh, kind of stimulate some thinking on that. But that's always mm-hmm. the tough part is, you know, you look back and say, of course I saw that trend, but I just <laughs> didn't think of what the financial <laughs> impact was and what I should do about it. Or or in the case, and again, like the topic of hedge funds,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: gee, I only thought others could invest in them. I didn't think there was any opportunity to look into them, so I didn't. You know, one of those mm-hmm. things. So that's one of the reasons we, we, we like to cover these things on this show because, uh, first of all, a lot of listeners, of course, do, uh, do have the ability to invest them, mm-hmm. in, but they also need to understand that hedge funds are not, uh, you know, created equal. Mm-hmm. And I think when you mention forty categories alone, not to mention yeah. forty funds, but forty categories,
2: mm-hmm. I
1: mean that that already gives an idea that that uh, you know doing a little research on that is, uh, you know, would would be helpful and uh, advised. I'm going to share one more thought. I was just thinking when you were talking about the long short uh, funds. Mm-hmm. And uh, shorting is, is kind of fun, and, and that, uh, you know, people that short have to do their research very well. The ones that are successful do a lot of their research to mm-hmm. make sure that they're in the right stuff. Uh, so maybe we can come up with some new phrase for what short selling is all about, because if you don't do your research, you're in that business for a very short period of time. I think <laughs> I think there, there might be some correlation with, uh, with how long your fund lasts based on uh, whether or not you do research. But uh, Okay, now, and on behalf of our listeners, I want to thank you for taking an hour of your Monday morning to meet with us, discuss a. Couple of your books and to share some insights, and I'm hoping we can get you back to uh, to talk about some of those other books as we uh, touch on those topics.
0: I would love to. I've really enjoyed this hour, and um, thank you so much for having me on the show.
1: Great, thank you for being here, Anne. Thank you.
0: Okay, you're welcome.
1: Let me just some, take a few minutes to summarize some of the key points we covered here, and uh, if you don't have at least one of Anne Lowe's books on your bookshelf, how about Valentine's Day present to yourself or the other investors in your family? And I touched on the large university endowment funds. They've had extremely good returns. Part of the reason is they are using uh, these hedge funds. The other part of the reason is they have been doing some socially responsible investing. You see, they get pressure from their students, their trustees, and the public to consider the social impact of their investing. So take a look at some of um, you know, the information in uh, Ann Ann's books. I think she might give you some insights in some of those trends to be watching, because the more people start doing that, that means those stocks or those investments will go up more than others. Now, it was great to get Ann's unique and, I'll say, uncomplicated perspective on these hedge funds, and certainly hope you learned as much as I did. On this show, and that, of course, is my segue into upcoming uh, alternative investment topics we have on this show in the next couple months. Actually, on our next show, we'll be talking about investing in gold and precious metals. There's no shortage of ads urging us to invest more in gold, and as Ann said, it has gone up quite a bit. So, is it the right time? So we thought, why not invest somebody that wrote the handbook on investing in gold? Our guest will be Jack Bass, who seems to have more projects underway at any point in time than I do. I'm looking forward to it. In upcoming shows, we'll be having a former hedge fund manager and new chief, and now he's a chief investment officer, Nicholas Vardy. He'll be he'll be connecting with us from London. And after that, we'll be discussing angel capital, venture capital, And I'm trying to schedule one of the foremost experts on mortgage notes. I've had the opportunity to spend the last few days in one of his seminars and be seeing him again very shortly, right after this show. So I shared with you four good reasons to make sure you tune into the Wealth DNA Radio Show every second and fourth Monday. And remember, our mission is to help a million listeners become millionaires. And together, we'll be able to help many more people than we can today. I certainly expect you, yeah, you, you, not not the person next to you, not the other folks on the radio, but you to be among the wealthiest. The next Wealth DNA Radio Show is the fourth Monday of February. That's Monday, February twenty-fifth, nine a.m. Arizona time. Same place, same time. And as I mentioned, we'll be talking about investing in gold with Jack Bass. The archives of past shows are available on WealthDNA.us. If you have some suggestions or questions don't hesitate to email me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. And by the way, the next show on the Boomer and the Babe Network is in just a few minutes at 10 a.m. Arizona time. They'll be uh, broadcasting live from the Heart Health Expo in Sun City, Arizona. How's that as an appropriate topic for the upcoming Valentine's Day? So stay tuned right here on the Boomer and the Babe Network. Happy investing.